John 1, 2, 15 to 17. Who do you love? Who do you love? You cannot love the world and love God. Okay, the Bible is clear on that. You cannot love the world and love God. So when I was doing ministry in Africa, and syncretism is prevalent there, meaning when I was in Africa, I would meet people in the village, and I would go to different villages and preach on the weekends, and I would meet people who would say they were Christian, but then I would, I would get to know them, and, and they would try to kind of marry what they saw as the best of Christianity with, you know, animism and, you know, ancestral worship. And I'm just like, what's going on here? You can't do that. You, you can't try to find something from the world and then something from the word and bring them together. You have to choose. Are you going to worship the Lord? Or are you going to worship the world? And I was very clear, like, guys, this, this doesn't work. Like this one guy that I met, he had these bands on his wrists and he'd gotten really sick. And I, I said, you know, what, what are those bands, brother? And I thought he was a brother. And he goes, oh, this is to ward off evil spirits. You know, the, the witch doctor in our village, you know, prayed over this. I'm like, oh, my word. So, again, he's not depending on the Lord. He's not trusting in the gospel. He's looking at something man-made. And, uh, again, the, the point of our passage is you can't do that. You can't worship God and the world simultaneously. So our passage, and I, man, this is a good one. It's all good because it's all God's word. But this is one, again, you may be familiar with. 1 John chapter 2, 15 to 17. John says, do not love the world. I mean, how clear can you be, right? Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but... Whoever does the will of God, what? Abides how long? Forever. Isn't that good? So, a passage begins with a negative command, followed by four reasons. So John is essentially saying, don't do this, and here are four reasons why. That's the structure, right? So, don't do this, and here's four reasons why. The command is found in verse 15, the first half. Do not love the world, or... The things in the world. So that's, and when I say a negative command, he's just stating something negatively, right? Don't do this. A positive command would be do this, right? Um, Negatively, don't love the world. Do not. Here's the first reason. Reason one, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Reason two, again, what's the command? Don't love the world or the things in the world. Then he gives four reasons. Number one, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Reason two, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, and I'll unpack each of those, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Reason three, the world is passing away along with its desires. Reason four, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. All right, I'm going to summarize that in one statement. Don't love the world because it prevents love for God, dishonors God, and separates from God. Okay? Don't love the world because it prevents love for God, it dishonors God, and it separates from God. So again, there's one main point in my teaching followed by four supportive 
reasons. Again, context is everything here. What did we learn last week? If you remember, we talked about what we see in verses 12 to 14. These are the blessings, the redemptive realities that are found in Christ. Remember what they were? I'll give them to you. If you know Jesus, if you've trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you have a knowledge of the Son. And it's a relational knowledge. It's not just like, I know one plus one is two, right? It's not academic knowledge. It's relational. It's that gnosko verb in the Greek, and it refers to an intimate knowledge. So if you've trusted in Christ, you know the Son relationally. Whoa. Number two, you have forgiveness of sin. Number three, you know the Father relationally, right? Wow. And number four, you have victory over the evil one and strength or power to endure. If you've trusted in Christ, those four things are true for you, okay? Those are the blessings that are found in Christ. But then we have a warning. So it, the, the, the movement from last week, 1 John 2, 12 to 14, to this week, there's a movement from encouragement. Hey, these things are true for you if you're a Christian. These four things, you know the Son, you know the Father, you have forgiveness. You have victory over the evil one. Woo! Right? But be warned. But be warned. So again, encouragement to warning. Our passage this week is really a warning. Don't love the world or the things in the world. So there's this theme, and it's three parts. Kingdom, beliefs, and behaviors. Okay? Let me explain. The kingdom you belong to, and how many kingdoms are there? essentially. There's two. There's the kingdom of God, and there's the kingdom of this world, or the kingdom of the evil one, right, of Satan. The kingdom you belong to affects your beliefs and behaviors. You agree with that? Okay. Or put another way, what you believe determines what kingdom you belong to. Those who belong to God's kingdom are marked by belief in Jesus as Lord and Savior, and behaviors that honor the King, Jesus Christ. Now, we've already talked about two kingdoms in 1 John and what characterizes life in these two respective kingdoms, right? There's the kingdom of God or the kingdom of light, and there's the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of this world. So those who walk in the light have right beliefs about Jesus, beliefs that result in right living. The right beliefs that John emphasizes for those who belong to God's kingdom, you believe that Jesus is the promised king, the Messiah, and you believe that God became man in Jesus. Those who are part of the kingdom of darkness, those who left the church, the departers, what did they reject? They rejected the message that Jesus is king, and they rejected the message that God became man in Jesus Christ, right? Those who have embraced the true gospel are marked by what? Obedience, love, those who reject the gospel are marked by hate, okay? So we learned that last week as well. Two kingdoms. Each kingdom is marked by diametrically opposed beliefs and behaviors. Now, John is defining the Christian life for us. He's saying, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It starts with right belief, which is faith in Jesus Christ, and is evidenced by a changed life, a life of obedience and love, lived out in the context of God's church. Good. Now, we live differently to earn right standing. No, Christ did that for us. We live differently out of gratitude for God for saving us through his son, Jesus Christ. And we do it by the power of the Spirit, right? So where do we start? 
We're going to start where John starts with a command. Point number one, you have five tonight. So pay attention. Number one, do not give your heart to the world. Verse 15a. Don't give your heart to the world. That's what John is saying, right? When he says, don't love the world or the things in the world, saying, don't give your heart, don't give your affections to the world. Now, would you agree with this statement? Where your heart goes, everything else follows. Come on. I mean, do you remember when you met your bride? When I met Haley, oh my goodness. My actions, my words followed after my object of affection, Haley. Wherever your heart goes, everything else follows. Now, to love the world is to give the world your heart, your affections, your allegiance. It's to embrace the world's message and the world's ruler. Again, wherever your heart goes, everything else what? Follows. Thoughts and actions. So the first verse leaves us with some questions. Again, if you were were just reading this and maybe studying this in a small group and you read verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. The two questions I would have, and this is just Bible study 101, I would wonder, what is the world here? Because John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. In here, do not love the world. But God loved the world. But we're not to love the world. I'm confused. I'm not, but I'm just saying that, that could be confusing. And then I would want to know, okay, so don't love the world. What is the world here? Or the things in the world. If God's word says, don't do this, I want to know what that means. Okay, so the two questions that we're left with are, what does John mean by world? And then more specifically, what are the things in the world that we're not to love? Agreed? Important question. So first, what does John mean by the world? Now, in English, you might have one word that depending on context can mean three, four, five, six different things. For example, the word ball. Like, we had a ball tonight. Donnie, pass me the ball. That dude can ball. Okay, so ball, verb, he can ball. I don't even know if that's correct English grammar or language today, but if you talk to a group of kids, man, that kid can ball. Like, we know he's a good athlete. He can play ball. Um, we had a ball. We had a good time. I was invited to a ball, a formal dance, or the spherical object over there. Don't look, there's not one, but hey, can you pass me the ball? Depending on context, that one word can mean four or five different things. Guess what? Greek is the same way. Okay, so... Cosmos, do not love the cosmos. What can cosmos mean? What can world mean in Greek? Well, it it can be used as a reference for all humanity. God made the world. Or, like here in 1 John 2.15, it can be used to refer to the kingdom of darkness. It can also just mean God's created world, what he made. Or it can refer to humanity in general, or more specifically, it can refer to those who are opposed to God and his kingdom. It's being used negatively here. Does that make sense? John 3.16, for God so loved the world, it's being used positively here. It's being used negatively. I'm going to give you a helpful definition because this is one of John's favorite words. Cosmos, world. It's the kingdom. The world is the kingdom or realm that is completely opposed to Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. And here's the definition. It is that sinister social order seeking to be free from God and his rule. So think world negatively is that sinister social order seeking to be free from God and his rule, still under the power, rule, and influence of who? Satan. Okay? It represents those opposed to what God has done through Jesus Christ. 
if you're taking notes, and I don't know if I'll put this in your handout, John 8, 23, should I put that in there? Okay, so it's a really helpful verse, right? So let Scripture interpret Scripture. It's a great cross-reference. Jesus says, you are from below. These are the Jews, the Jewish leaders that are opposing him in John 8, right? At the end of John 8, they want to stone him. You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. That's super helpful, okay? Jesus is addressing his opponents. Their domain, the domain of those opposed to him, is the, is the world. Again, it's that sinister social order seeking to be free from God and his rule through Jesus Christ. John uses world in many places. John 12, 31, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Who's the ruler of this world? Satan. John 15, 18 and 19, if the world hates you, is God just talking about like the trees and the <coughs> mountains? And No. If the, this is the kingdom of darkness, right? If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Can I give you one more? 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. So, the world hates Christ and His followers. The world does not know Christ and His followers, and the world is opposed to Christ and His followers. It is that sinister social order seeking to be free from God and His rule in Jesus Christ, still under the reign and influence of Satan. It's a long definition, but could have been longer. So, um, Simply put, the world represents a way of life, you could say values, attitudes, vocation, that is opposed to God and his redemptive rule. It is theological anarchy. It is the pursuit of life without God. That's the world. Now, the world's gospel, did you know that the world has a gospel? What's the world's gospel? It's not God's gospel. It's different. The world's gospel would say, live how you want to live. Hey, if it feels good, do it. Miss Ann, we did not pray for your, I just realized, we did not pray for your granddaughters. Let's stop and do that. Can we do that right now? Pardon? We didn't pray for your granddaughters. Oh. Can, I, can I do that? Sure. Yeah, Father, we pray for Miss Ann's granddaughters. We pray that you would open their eyes to the truth of the gospel, that they would see that this world is passing away, and that they would run to Jesus, love Jesus, follow Jesus, and come under his rule revealed in his word. In Jesus' name, amen. I apologize for that. Sorry. Yes, ma'am. Um, look how you want to live. Do what makes you happy. Christianity is simply one path among many. Who's heard that? So it doesn't matter what you believe, right? I mean, that's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, it's postmodernism, but it's uh, religious pluralism, which is this idea that all paths lead to heaven, right? That's the world's gospel. Hey, you know what? If that's what you believe makes you happy, do it, because we're all going to end up in the same place at the end of the day. And God's word would say, no, that's, that's not true. So what are the, so the first question was, what is the world? I think we've defined that. We've, that horse is dead. Um, maybe not. What are the things in the world? What are the things? Because what did John say? Don't love the world. Did he stop there? Yeah. Or the things that are in the world. So what are those things, I wonder? 
these represent the values, the beliefs, and behaviors that go hand in hand with opposition to God and his rule. And John speaks of these things in verse 16. I'm going to call this the terrible trio, okay? Um, so according to John, why shouldn't we give our hearts to the world? Why shouldn't we love the world? Point number two, and we're going to eventually come and answer the question, what are the things in the world? But point number two, love for the world prevents love for God. That's the second half of verse 16, okay? Because John says, so again, the point is love for the world prevents love for God. John says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Man, I hope you don't love the world. You know, Danny and I had lunch today, and, and bro was so good because you and I were just united in this longing for the world to come. I think we were just looking at the promises and God's word of what's to come, the new heaven, the new earth. You know, 1 John 3, 2, when we see him, when we behold him, we're going to be just like him. We're, we're going to have a perfectly moral nature, no more <laughs> sin. And Danny and I were just like, our hearts were raptured up with that hope and expectation. You know, we didn't love the world in that moment. We were longing for the fulfillment of God's kingdom. And I hope that's all of us. Love for the world prevents us from pursuing, pursuing, pursuing? Sure. Love for the world prevents us from pursuing our creative purpose, which is to love and honor God, because you cannot be part of two kingdoms got to get that, right? Again, in our world, you can have dual citizenship, but it doesn't work like that spiritually. You can't have dual citizenship spiritually. You can't have two kings sitting on the throne of your heart. Amen? When you say amen, you're saying, yes, true. It's true. I agree. Um, so on Sunday, a good game. I didn't watch it, but I saw the highlights. The Miami Dolphins played the, nobody knows, the Philadelphia Eagles. Okay. Yeah, it's fine. I was watching it for Paul. I was, I was trying to keep up for Paul's sake. You know, he's a big Eagles fan. But can you imagine a fan? Now, there are such fans. There's one fan that I know, and it's Travis and Jason Kelsey's mother because her two sons play on two different NFL teams. So we're going to kind of remove her from the equation. But typically, you're not going to see one fan cheering for two teams at the same time, right? If these two teams are playing, right, if, if Philadelphia scores – and they cheer, and then Miami scores, and they cheer. In the first half, they're wearing a Miami jersey. In the second half, they're wearing an Eagles jersey. I'm going to be confused. Which one is it? Unless they bet the over. That's true. Yeah. yeah. But, but typically, or unless you're Miss Kelsey, this would be ludicrous, right? Imagine a player trying to do this. Imagine a player trying to suit out for one team the first half, and then trying to jump over and play for their team the second half. What's going to happen? What's well, not going to happen? That can't happen, right? Again, simply put, you cannot love God and the world at the same time. You can't have two kings sitting over the throne of your heart. Because these two kings and these two kingdoms are going to pull you in opposite directions. Therefore, you can't love both. You can't give your heart to both. Agreed? You can't follow both. And Jesus makes a similar statement in Matthew 6, 24. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Money makes a horrible God, okay? Sex makes a horrible God. 
Fame makes a horrible God because these things cannot satisfy. Only Christ can satisfy our souls. Amen? So don't have two gods. It's not going to work. In a bit, I'm going to end by asking, I think, seven or eight diagnostic questions that will help us to determine which kingdom we belong to. <laughs> I got four out of five. I hope you get eight out of eight. How many? Uh, yeah, I hope you get them all right. Uh, but we'll get there. What's the next reason that John gives us for not loving the world? Point number three, the world represents our old way of life before Christ, right? We've died to the old way. It represents the old. Verse 16, we're moving carefully. I mean, you thought, oh, we got three verses. This is going to be quick. Well, I mean, there's a lot here. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, there's that terrible trio. We'll talk about that here shortly. It's not from the Father, but it's from the world. So John is saying, this used to be you, but no more. You've been rescued from this. You know, Romans 6, 1, what shall we say then? Should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means we've died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? This is not you anymore. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life. Everybody say, no mas. No more. That's not me anymore. I've died to those things. All that is in the world, the attitudes, the values, and behaviors of the kingdom of darkness. They're not from God, right? They're not for our good. They will not contribute to our growth and godliness and holiness, but the opposite. Robert Yarbrough writes, John is thinking of things that can be regarded as detrimental because, this is so good, they lack sanctifying ties with the Father. So, Will the desires of the flesh sanctify you, make you more like Christ? No. Will the desires of the eyes? No. The pride of life? No. These things are not rooted and grounded in Him and can therefore be regarded as not coming from who? They're not coming from God, right? We know that everything that comes from God is, James tells us, it's, it's good. It's for our good because He's good, right? John says, all that is in the world is not from the Father. These things, because they're not from God, they are deadly. Again, this is a warning. He's warning his readers here. They're not life-giving, but death-producing. So what we're going to see in the very next verse, in verse 17, is that the world and the things that are in the world will not last, but will what? They're passed away, right? So did you hear the warning? If you love the world and the things of the world... You're going to pass away just like those things, okay? So heed the warning. <laughs> heed the warning. You guys remember when Tom Schreiner came here? Again, he was talking about, he, we have a little book out in the book nook, Run to Win the Prize. It's all about how God uses the warnings of Scripture for our perseverance, right? Thankful for the warnings. Aren't we thankful for warnings? Don't eat this. Don't go down this road. Oh, that's for my good. And God gives us warnings for our spiritual good. All right, so... Can we agree? Yeah, you know, I've heard people say, oh, I bet it was so much easier following Jesus during the time of the Puritans. Well, listen, the, the Puritans had sin natures as well. But did they have as many distractions? They had distractions, but man, I mean, come on, guys. We live in an age and a time where the kingdom of this world 
the ruler of this world is constantly vying for our attention, right? Holding out the lies of the kingdom of darkness to try to like tantalize and attract us. So what do we do? How do we fight those desires? We'll come there, not yet. Let me ask this question. So who or what is from the Father? And then we're going to ask, what are the things in the world? But who or what is from the Father? Who came from the Father? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son who would believe in him and not perish but have eternal life. The son came from the father to give life. What is from the world and not from God? Now, we need to be careful here, okay? John is not demonizing the world or culture such that we should assume that everything in our world is inherently evil, like Football and fast food. Like, oh, nope, I can't. It's evil, right? Daniel Aiken writes, John is not telling us to reject any and all aspects of culture, much of which reflect the glory, goodness, and gifts of God. So, again, when using the word world, he's being very specific. He's referring to the kingdom of of darkness, right? The attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors that are opposed to God and his rule. All right, so I told you, we talk about this terrible or atrocious trio. What are the three things that he mentions in our passage? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Which, what is the pride of life? We'll come to that, but these are the things that are in the world. These things represent the values and attitudes of the world, the things that flow out of our sin nature and stand opposed to God and his rule. These things flow out of our fallen world. Let's take them one at a time, okay? First up, the desires of the flesh. Hmm. So the word for desires is epithemia. It's a Greek word. It means lusts or evil desire. It's not a good word, okay? And then you have the lust of the sarks. The flesh refers to the old, corrupt sin nature that we've died to, right? So again, the things that are in the world, first up, the desires of of the flesh, the sinful desires that used to control us before Christ, right? We used to love these things. We lived for these things, but no more, no more. This is the dominant attitude and ungodly goal that characterizes life in the kingdom of darkness. We hear it every day. Do what makes you feel happy, right? Do what feels good. Live for you. That is the desire of the flesh. Those who belong to this world, those who belong to the kingdom of darkness, are controlled by the sin nature. They're enslaved by it. Christians have been liberated from sin. Amen? We've been liberated from sin. We are no longer controlled by the sin nature. And yet, we're also not yet totally free from the influence of sin. Doesn't sin still rear its ugly head in our lives? Do we have a new heart with new desires? Yes. You better say yes, because God promised that. And it's true in Christ. But are we, are we completely free from the influence of sin? Was Christ come back yet? No, not yet. So are we, are we free completely from the influence of sin? No, right? We've already seen that in 1 John 1 and 2. So we still war against the flesh, even though we put the old sin nature to death. But we have a new master, amen? We have a new Lord. And therefore, we must fight by the Spirit's power to resist our old master's constant beckoning call. Galatians 5.24, 
and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, what does it mean to crucify something? What are the things in the world? The first thing in this atrocious trio, the lust, the flesh. What does Paul say? Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its lust. The same two words, okay? So we, if you've crucified something, you've, you've killed it, right? You didn't just wound it. You killed it. Because Christ died. We're now dead to the sins or the desires or the lusts of the flesh. And yet, Paul also says in Galatians 5, 16, and 17, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. I'm here talking to a Christian in Albania and telling him, he was asking me, like, what's the role of the Spirit? He was a new believer. He, he was understanding the Trinity. One God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He said, Chris, what is the role of the Spirit? And I brought him to Galatians 5, 16 and 17. And I said, the Spirit's job is to point us to the matchless beauty of Christ. And so that we see the beauty of Christ, the matchless beauty of Christ, and then we look at our sin and our old life, and we're just like, how foolish. This cannot do anything for me because the Spirit's saying, look how much better Jesus is. Look how much more beautiful Christ is. That's the spiritual, amen? In Romans 8, 13, Paul writes, For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, Paul uses the present tense form of the verb to put to death. Which means, I mean, how, should we be doing this as a one-time thing? We've got to do it continuously, right? So John's point is that we cannot give our hearts to the desires of the flesh. We mustn't give in to the attitudes, values, and behaviors that characterized life before Jesus. Next, we have the desires of the eyes. So, same word. Desires of the flesh, and now we have the desires of the eyes. Because the eyes and the flesh work together, don't they? Don't they work together? The eyes fixate on what the sinful heart desires. The eyes of unconverted man do not see what the Lord wants or forbids, but what the sinful heart wants. And as believers, we must view everything through the lens of God's word. Colin Cruz writes, The lust of his eyes are those sinful cravings which are activated by what people see and lead to covetousness. This could take the form of pornography, a neighbor's car or house, food even, a friend's spouse, or a job. How do we fight this? How do we fight the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes? The way we fight this is by looking to the matchless worth and beauty of King Jesus. And who helps us do that? Who says Jesus is better? And where does he do that, I wonder? Where do we go? Where does he show us that? Say it again. His word. Right? Because, again, there's this, if you like algebra, which I, I do, there's this formula. And I didn't make it up, by the way. It's A plus B equals C. C in this formula is sanctification. A is the word. Let's be. Who works through the word to make us more like Christ? The Spirit. The Spirit. So if you want to fight sin and put to death sin and, and die to sin, you have to be in the word where the Spirit works to show us 
Christ is better. He's better than your sin. Um, <clears throat> pride of life. Let's jump into this. Pride of life. That's a strange phrase, right? I mean, who would have thought the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and then the pride of life. This simply means, this phrase, pride of life, pride in material possessions or worldly goods. It's an attitude of self-reliance that ignores God. It's the rich young ruler who went away sad because he had great wealth. His treasure was in earthly things. He didn't think he needed Jesus, right? He boasted in his wealth. And what happened? <laughs> he refused to follow Christ. Pride of life. It doesn't acknowledge the gift giver. It says, look at what I've done. See what I've accomplished. Now, if you read these three things together, the, the terrible trio, the atrocious trio, you have, what's the first one? Lust of the flesh. Same thing, same word. Desires or lust of the eyes. And then the pride of life. There's a progression. Let me explain. There's a progression from the sinful heart to the sinful heart seeing what it wants to then obtaining what it wants and then boasting in that object. Okay, that's it. I see what I want, right? And so my heart, my heart tells me I want this. I see I want it. I get it. I boast in it. That's idolatry. That's idolatry. It's boasting in what the world has to offer rather than in Christ. It's looking for fulfillment and satisfaction in the world. This mindset refuses to give thanks to who? To God. It seeks to take all credit. It says, look what I've done. See what I've done. It's living life independently of God. And again, I think believers fall prey to this all the time. It happens when we believe the lie that Jesus is not enough and look to other things for joy, peace, and fulfillment, right? A job, maybe money, or some other relationship. It's the sin of the garden. I mean, Adam and Eve had everything they needed. And what did Satan say? Hey, if you, if you disobey God, you can, you can be God. You can be just like him. Well, that sounds good. Okay, let's do that. Yeah, yeah. It's not new, right? It's it's not new. Mankind has been doing this since the very beginning. Yeah. Let's sum it all up. The sinful heart seeks to obtain what it sees and elevate it to the place of Godhood, right? The sinful heart is constantly looking for ways to replace the Lord. John Calvin said rightly that the human heart is an idol factory. So again, how can we resist these things? Pray, read the word, gather with God's people, right? These are the ordinary means of grace. How can we resist these things? The, the lust of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Pray, read the word, and gather with God's people. That, that is what the word prescribes, right? I mean... Maybe you're thinking, well, come on, it can't be that simple. Who said it was simple, right? But these are the things that are ordinary, right? They're ordinary means of grace that our extraordinary God works through to help us resist the desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Why is love for the world foolish? Why is it foolish? It leads to death, right? Those who love the world embrace defeat, verse 17a. And the world is passing away along with its desires. Those who side with the world embrace a defeated foe. Can you imagine? You're neutral. You're Switzerland, I guess. And you uh, you come across a battle. 
And it's obvious that this side, the right side, has won. 90% of their military might is still standing, mighty. The other side, the left side, everybody's dead. And they look at you, hey, who are you going to join? Let me think about it. No, I think I'll join you guys, right? You guys have, you've won, you've been victorious. And that's really what we see here, right? Our king is won. Sin, death, and Satan have been defeated. Why? What do we know about the world? What is John? The world is passing away. We know the end of the story. Why would you join forces with a defeated foe? Isn't that foolish? Listen to John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. 1 John 2, 8. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining, the light is broken in. The king has come. The victory has been won. The work of sin, death, and Satan have been undone through the death and resurrection of King Jesus. Right? It's like D-Day versus V-Day. What happened at Normandy, it changed everything. Right? Nothing like that had ever happened. That was the turning point in World War II. At that moment, the Allied forces knew we've, we've won. Like, it wasn't that clear, but... That was the turning point, right? That was the death blow, if you will. But then what came later? V-Day. V-Day. Guys, we live between D-Day and V-Day. D-Day is the empty tomb. Christ is won. But we're awaiting the return of the king, right? V-Day. How stupid. I hate that word, but I'll say it. How foolish to join with the fallen enemy. Don't do it. Because of time, let me just jump in number five. What is John's final reason for not loving the world? Number five, those who love the world forfeit life. Don't forfeit life. The last half of the last verse, 17, but whoever does the will of God abides how long? Forever. What a wonderful promise. What blessed assurance. Those who do the will of God abide forever. What is the will of God? to trust in Jesus and turn from sin. That is God's will revealed in his word, right? Trust in Jesus and turn from sin. Well, I told you I'd leave you with some, uh, some questions, some diagnostic questions, right? How can one know if they love God or the world? How can we know which side we're on? Well, do you treasure Jesus supremely? Does God's word take precedence in your life? Do you, meaning... Do you bend the knee to culture or to the word of God? <clears throat> I remember when I lived in Washington, this was so sad. There were a few churches that historically had been known for faithfulness to the scriptures. But over the past 10, 15 years, as the culture changed, the churches changed. Right? Where at one point it was very clear marriage is between one man and one woman. <clears throat> Well, now, I mean, the culture is saying otherwise, so maybe, maybe to appeal to culture, we should change our, our doctrinal statement. What? So again, a diagnostic question, do you love God or the world? You can't have two kings. Does the word of God take precedence in your life? Do you bend the knee to culture or to the word? Number three, where do you turn when suffering hits? Where do you turn when suffering hits? <laughs> Number four, do you share the gospel with others? 
Number five, are you more concerned with comfort or obedience? Number six, are you more concerned with your reputation or the reputation of Christ in his church? And finally, where do you invest your time? In things that are going to contribute to your maturity in the faith and the maturity of faith of others or in whatever you want to do that's going to make you quote-unquote happy? Where do you invest your time? In the things of God or the things of this world? I'm thankful for God's word. I'm thankful for verses 12 to 14. Again, that reminder that if you've trusted in Christ, you know Jesus relationally. You know, we asked our waitress today, uh, where do we go? Uh, Pelican Point. We asked her, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And she said, yes. And she said, I, I read the Bible daily, and I'm hoping she's going to come here Sunday. And she's not right now in a church currently. But at least number one is true of her, right? She says, I know Jesus relationally. What's the other one? Your sins are forgiven. Number three, you know the Father. Number four, you have victory over the evil one and strength to endure. So we have that last week. That's Those are the blessings that are found in Christ. But then John goes into this warning. Don't love the world or the things in the world. Those things can't satisfy you. In fact, if you love those things, their end is going to be your end, which is what? Eternal death and separation. So be careful. Keep Jesus on the throne of your heart because only he can satisfy. So let's thank our king for that. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who is the king of kings. We learn in Matthew's gospel at the end, after Jesus has defeated sin, death, and Satan through his perfect life, sacrificial death, and glorious resurrection, that our King has all authority in heaven and on earth. Father, I pray that your church here at Kelty's would faithfully and consistently bend the knee to Christ and the Word of God and not to culture, that we would not look to the world and the things of this world to satisfy, but always to Jesus. Jesus, help us to boldly proclaim this news to others so that more and more people can be brought into your kingdom out of the kingdom of this world. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.